talk tonight about overcoming discouragement. In our scripture, Romans chapter 8, 37 says this, that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Everybody say overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory. Now, it doesn't say victory is yours through Christ. It says overwhelming victory, more than conquerors, overabundance of victory in your life. Not just enough to get by, but enough to actually have enough for you and for somebody else that needs it. Come on. So it's, it's an overwhelming, it's the overflow of victory in your life. And it's all through Christ who loves you. It's all because he loves you. It's all because he desires you. So he doesn't desire you. You know, there's people that have this idea that God's always just trying to fix you. Now, I believe that God is trying to fix you. Come on. I believe that God is refining us as lovers, but God's great agenda isn't always just to teach you something. Like he's this mean taskmaster. Now, God is always trying to teach you something, but he always does it with tenderness. He always does it with desire. He always does it with love. He always does it with passion. He doesn't do it with meanness. And so this is kind of uh, the idea that um, we get sometimes of God, but it's that he loves us. He gives us victory because he loves us. And, you know, I think that we as believers have people that have put our faith in Jesus that we should never lack emotionally. Last week we talked about generosity, and, and, and part of that is emotional generosity. We should never be in lack emotionally. Never. We should never be in lack. However, we have those rough days. Come on, are you with me? We have those days that we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and then we're discouraged about that. We're discouraged about what's going on. We got a phone call about something that ruined our day, right? And so we have to be careful that when we have rough days that we have the ability to dominate that, that day because rough days can become rough weeks and then rough years and rough lifetimes and then when we end up old we're bitter because we weren't able to overcome discouragement if you can overcome discouragement then you'll never have to battle depression because discouragement always sits in first and so you got to get it right up front you got to you got to get to the that day you've got to deal with it that week you can't you can't let it go on for weeks and I'm telling you that you have the ability, because of Jesus, to overcome discouragement. You don't have to, everybody look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to be discouraged. Look at your other neighbor and say, you don't have to be discouraged. Now, there's this guy in the Bible that we talk about a lot. His name's Elijah. You guys have heard of Elijah, right? In fact, they even talk about Elijah was so popular in the Old Testament that Jesus even talked to him in the New Testament. The, the New Testament speaks of Elijah. I mean, Elijah was like the, the epic prophet. He was like, if you say prophets, you talk about the law, you talk about Moses, and you say the prophets, you think about Elijah. Elijah was the man. He was the one that, that we know in that, in First Kings chapter 18 that he gathered all the prophets of Baal. You guys know the story up on Mount Carmel. And he got up there and then he, he had the altar built and he said, whatever God answers by fire, that will be the true God. So the prophets of Baal got over there and they, they started, you know, worshiping Baal and all this kind of stuff. And they called out to Baal, oh, oh, Baal, answer us by fire. And we know that nothing happened. And then Elijah got up right after that and he said, go ahead and put some water on the sacrifice. And then it says that Elijah actually called down fire from heaven and fire fell on the sacrifice. I mean, and then he killed 450 prophets of Baal. Then he calls down rain right after that. 
And then it says that, he, that he, Ahab went to the city and, and Elijah actually had a supernatural ability to where he tucked up his robe into his belt and he ran faster than chariots to get to the town before Ahab did. So he's having all these like massive victories. I mean, I don't know about you, but if that kind of stuff was happening in, in my life, I would never be discouraged, right? It's like everything's going your way. And then Ahab gets home and he tells Jezebel about what happened. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about Jezebel tonight, but just know that for prophets, Jezebel was bad news. She had a reputation of killing, snuffing out prophets. Listen, Jezebel is not a woman spirit. It's a demonic spirit. It can be a woman or a man, and its agenda is to snuff out the prophetic on the earth, to snuff out the prophetic spirit or the prophets. So the reason why so many men battle with lust today is not, is not because they're just undisciplined. It's because Jezebel has an agenda to stop the prophets short of, of God's victory in their life. And so she wants to snuff that down, that spirit. We refer to it as, as, as a she, but that spirit wants to snuff out the prophets to keep the prophets from, from fulfilling their destiny. And so she was going to do this to Elijah. And so it says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And it says this about this mighty man, Elijah. It says he was afraid and fled or ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. Now that was a mistake. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I mean, he just defeated 450 prophets. And he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot coals in a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Then he came to, the ca- to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down their their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told them. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way that you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram, and anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha. We read this story about this mighty man, and we see this, this battle that he's having. And in fact, God comes to him and speaks to him two times, and he tells the Lord the same thing twice. How many of you guys have felt like when you've been discouraged before that you told the Lord the same thing twice? And we, we kind of th- tend to think if we complain enough that God's going to maybe change something that we're going through or, or, or change his mind about something. But talking about Elijah tonight, because we do see that he overcame this discouragement that he went and he was about the mandate of God. He, he went back and fulfilled his mission. And there's thir- three, three statements I want to focus on tonight that, that God spoke to Elijah. And the first, it wasn't actually God's voice that said it, but God sent an angel to Elijah. And the first thing that he said was, get up and eat. Listen, if you're discouraged tonight, or you're going to go through discouragement, one of the things that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get up and eat. I mean, discouragement wants to stay in bed all day, right? But you're going to have to get up and eat. And you're not just going to have to eat food, but you're going to have to eat what God has provided for you, what God has made ready for you. You're going to have to eat the presence of Jesus. As he said in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. If you're going to be encouraged, you're going to have to get up every day and eat. See, it's a non-negotiable, if you're going to have victory in your life, for you to be in the Word every day, to be in His presence every day. And the second one is the daily bread, the Word of God. That's what the Word of God is. It's our daily bread. So we got to be, every single day, we've got to get up and eat the presence of Jesus and the Word of God every day. It's a non-negotiable. If you're discouraged, if you came to me and said, Josh, I'm so discouraged, the first thing that I'm going to ask you is, what's your quiet time like? What's your time with Jesus? And I know that sounds really basic, but it's the most important thing that you'll do in your day ever. The most important thing that you'll ever do. So if you're discouraged tonight, you say, Josh, I'm discouraged. Are you in the Word? Uh, Not like I should be. It's usually the first thing. Are you praying? Well, not like I should be. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray. Just spend time with Jesus. Just like you spend time with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your kids. Just like you spend time with people, you spend time with Jesus. You get some worship music. You play it on your record player, right? <laughs> on your eight track right? Whatever it takes to get in the presence of Jesus because he is the bread of life. You can't just have the word. 
and not the presence, right? And you can't just have the presence and not the word. If you do one, you'll just be legalistic. If you do the other, you'll just be flaky. So you've got to have the word and you've got to have the presence every day. It's a non-negotiable. It's not like if you read your Bible and pray today, it's when do you do it? You do it in the morning or night? I don't think God's really concerned about what time you hang out with him. He's just concerned that you do. And listen, it's already prepared for you. We live in society that is so easy for us to get the word. You know, I have this Bible app that I used. I just updated my OS on my computer, and it's actually a program. We call it an app because that's the word that we use, but it's this program called Word Search 10, and it's a, I've been using it for years, and I have this library, and so when I did the update on my system, every time I open up the program, it crashes. And so I called these guys like two weeks ago, and I'm like, hey, uh, what's going on here? Like, you guys need to get on top of this. Like, you know, I have all my tools here, and I really need, you know, this resource. What's going on? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We should have it hopefully by the end of the day. It should be fixed. You should get the email about the update. We're not sure how we're going to do it, but you'll get the update. Be able to update your system, be able to use your program like always. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm real frustrated, right? I'm discouraged about it. And so I'm like, okay. So I get online, and I do it like everybody else does, right? I'm like getting Blue Letter Bible, you know, because I can get all my study resources on there. So I'm going through, and I'm fumbling through. Well, yesterday, we're driving back from Odessa. We had spent Thanksgiving there, and I try to open up my Bible app because it had been working. It worked a couple of times. I was like, okay, well, they didn't update it, but it seems to, you know, be working okay. And I try to open it like 15 times, and I can't. I was going to study while Leslie was driving and just kind of get prepared for tonight, and I couldn't even get on it. I couldn't get on the Internet because I didn't have Blue Letter Bible. But what I'm talking about tonight is that we live in a society that is so easily accessible. I could have pulled out my phone and pulled out my Bible right there. And so we, like, what we do is we say that we don't have time or Really, what it means is that we, God's word really isn't that important to us when we don't ever crack it open. And we live in the information age. You can get online and you can find sermon after sermon. You can listen to podcasts. You can, you can read the word. You can study the word. You can have the word read to you online. You can, you can have it read to you on your app when you drive to work. Whatever it takes, get the word in you. Get the word in you. You're wondering, oh, I'm just discouraged all the time. How much word is in you? Now, if you just get the word in you, you might become mean-spirited if you don't get the presence. So get some worship music. Get you, learn to play an instrument or something. Get to a point. Just, just sing. Just walk around and sing. Uh, and it's probably going to sound real bad, but Jesus will love the way it sounds. He'll probably be the only one, but he'll love it because you're calling out to him. And just start singing, making him song. I remember when I first got saved, man, if I didn't have my little tape player in my room, my headphones, or, you know, in my car, man, I'd just start singing, singing songs, making up all these songs. You know, finally got a guitar and was able to play, like, two-chord songs. I wrote, like, 42-chord songs. Because I recognize how important it was for me to be in God's presence daily. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, one of the, the staple scriptures of Christianity. Nehemiah says this, and I can go into the story. I'm not going to tonight. You, can, you guys can read it on your own, on your app, or wherever is most convenient for you. And Nehemiah stands up and he says, all these people are cheering about the law and all this kind of stuff. And Nehemiah gets up and he says, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? And see, I, what I've come to recognize in my life, that if the devil can get my joy, he'll get my strength. I know that if I'm not like, 
joyful in heart, if I'm not peaceful, if, I'm, if I don't have the, the happy peace, you guys know what I'm talking about? There's the peace and then there's the happy peace. If I don't have that happy peace in my heart, I know that I'm pretty weak. But whenever I'm full, come on, whenever I'm full on the inside, then I know that I'm strong. I know that I'm solid. So God wants you to have that happy peace. Come on. He wants you to have that joy because it's your strength. And if the devil can get your joy, he'll get your strength. Now listen, joy comes from the Lord. Come on. We're not talking about happiness. Come on. We're talking about joy. Joy is something supernatural. Because it can't be affected by the natural. It's supernatural. It exceeds any natural element. It's joy. It's not, it, it doesn't come from people. It's not dictated by circumstances. It's not dictated from your kids or your spouse or your employer. Joy comes from the Lord. And if he is unshakable, then so is your joy. Just say that. Say, my joy is unshakable. No, 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 no. Say it like you believe it. My joy is unshakable. You have, God has provided you what you need to be encouraged. The word of God, the presence of Jesus, and in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So if you want joy, you find it in his presence. You don't find it in your paycheck. Come on. You don't find it in your marriage. You find happiness in your marriage. Come on. But joy comes from the Lord. There's a story about this man, and this is in the, you, you have that here? In New York Times in 1908, it says, rich man dies of hunger. New Hampshire town's wealthy resident starved himself to death. Webster, New Hampshire, January 15th, 1908. David in Couch, one of the wealthiest residents of this place, died at his home today of starvation and lack of proper care. For some months, Mr. Couch had lived alone. And although known to be the owner of more than $20,000 in 1908 worth of property and presumed to be worth much money, he had denied himself of proper food. This is what happens to us a lot of times in our lives. God has supplied everything that we need. It's like we're sitting on a million dollars and we not die of starvation. So you got everything you need to be encouraged. And you're, you choose discouragement. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you put your faith in Jesus, discouragement is a choice as much as encouragement is. Because the resource is unshifting. So God said, get up and eat. Then he says, go out and stand. Remember, he says, okay, what are you doing here? Go out and stand. I'm about to say something. When he said that, he says, position yourself. When he says, go out and stand, he's saying, position yourself to hear from me. Position yourself to hear from me. Notice that when God spoke, that he spoke in the whisper, right? The earthquake, right? The wind, the fire. And it says God wasn't in those things, but God came in a whisper. Why did God come in a whisper? Because when God comes to speak to you, he gets up close. Come on, are you with me? You can't whisper to say, Leslie, we have this like, this intense fellowship sometimes about these, these things that happen. We don't fight about it. We just have intense fellowship about it. Um, so she'll, she'll try to, like, tell me something from across the room. She'll be like, I'm like, 
I got to the point now, I'm just like, I don't even look, because I just get frustrated. I'm like, what's that? You guys know what I'm talking about? She's like whispering. She's saying it, but I can't really. How many husbands? We have this problem with our wives. It's called communication. And it's why? Because a whisper is not meant to take place from across the room. A whisper is meant to take place up close. So listen, when God speaks to you, he wants to get up close to you. In fact, he's already right there. So he don't have to come in the earthquake. He don't have to come in the wind. He doesn't have to come in the fire. He's right up beside you already up close, whispering, speaking to you. But will you position yourself? And let me say this, that in the whisper, there is an earthquake. And in the whisper, there is a fire. And in the whisper, there is the wind. It's got all the power you need in his still, small voice. So we've got to position ourselves for the whisper, to position ourselves to be encouraged. You know, nothing is more discouraging than being discouraged. I said, nothing's more discouraging than being discouraged. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like you're just, I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so discouraged, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's just discouraging. And so what we've got to do is we've got to stand in our position. So when God comes to him, he said, position yourself. And then he says this. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He doesn't just say, what are you doing here? He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why did he? Say it like that. Why didn't you just say, why are you doing it? Because whenever you said somebody's name, you identified them. And the name Elijah means the Lord is my God. And I believe that when God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you so discouraged? Don't you remember what just happened? Don't you just remember when you, when you slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal? Don't you remember when you called down fire on that altar? Don't you remember, Elijah? that you're mine, that I am yours. I had a, a, a pastor when we served in El Paso, he used to say this. He would say, are you God's man of faith and power or of paste and flour? <laughs> and I think Elijah didn't feel like God's man of faith and power. He felt like God's man of paste and flour. He was discouraged, but God still showed up. Don't you love that? Even though you're discouraged, God is still right there going, Hey, remember who you are. You belong to me. And I would say this. When you're discouraged, remember what God did before. Remember God in the days of your youth. Remember God whenever he took care of your finances. This is why it's important for you to write things down when God does something. And you tell that story a thousand times till you're so sick of it. I tell you what, I tell the same story sometimes over and over again. Why? Because I want to remember how good my God is. It's not because I'm living in the past. It's because I want to remember right now how good God is. So when I'm discouraged, I can say, hey, present, remember what God did yesterday? I'm still the same, and God sure ain't changed. Mm. So are you God's man of faith and power or of paste and flour? So position yourself. I know it's cheesy, but it's good. You're God's man of faith and power. So I want to give you guys a few practicals. Are you with me? A few practicals to position yourself to be encouraged. 
to go out and stand on. First of all, surround yourself with encouraging people. You know what we call this? We call this community. Did you know that you were never meant to do this life alone? You were never meant to do this life with just you and your family. You were meant to do Christianity, the walk of faith, in a faith-based community like we have right here at Overflow. The most, one of the most powerful things, one of the things that people come, and I know that we're small right now, but one of the things that people always say, what we love so much about your church is the community, that people just love one another, that, that it feels like a family. That is one, and, and I'll tell you, as we grow, that's going to be one of the things that we have to fight for to keep, but we, we will always be that. We will always be that living room worship set. Come on, are you with me? It will always be a church of 30 people, even if we have 3,000. Our goal is to keep that. And so why? Because we need to continually surround ourselves with encouraging people because discouragement loves loneliness. So what happens is when we get discouraged, we go to a cave. We run off. We leave our servant. We leave anybody that can do anything for us or with us, and we run away and we go and be alone. That's what discouragement does. Let me tell you, it's the stupidest thing to do because discouragement loves loneliness, and as long as you are alone, you will remain discouraged. Nobody commits suicide in front of somebody else. Well, most of the time, people don't commit suicide in front of somebody. They do it alone. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as you see the day of his return is drawing near. And let me just say this, that there is a difference between encouragement and approval. There's a difference between someone encouraging you and approving of what you're doing. Because encouragement might be, don't do that. How do we spur one another on? Now, don't only surround yourself with people that make you feel good. Surround yourself with people that will cause you to want to do good. Are you with me? So discourage, So listen, encouragement and approval aren't the same thing. Well, they just, they don't want to be around nobody. They just, they just want to talk about how I need to fix this area in your life. Well, you're in community with them. You're supposed to do the same thing. We're working on one another. Come on, are you with me? This is what community is. So, number one, surround yourself with encouraging people. And again, that doesn't mean just people that make us feel good. It's people that are, that are sometimes will challenge us. Now, if that's always the case, then you might want to find some new friends. If that's all they're doing. But you, your real friends will do that. It's like, does my butt look big? Yes, it does. Oh, I'm never going to hang out with you again. Or maybe you should wear some different pants and keep hanging out with them. All right, number two. Seek out inspiration. You know, if I sat all day, which I could easily do on my computer scrolling through Facebook, I could get so discouraged by things that people are posting and reposting and all the negativity that we could focus on. And listen, I know our world is a screwed up place, but do not seek out some people that are just so depressed. They're like, they just want to talk about how screwed up the world is and how messed up our government is and how there's no hope for humanity. I'm like, there are some good things happening. Focus on the good things. Look for inspiration. Listen, I'm not telling you to stick your head in the sand. I'm not telling you that. 
We need to be alert. We need to be ready. We need to know some things. But listen, if we're mostly seeking things that are going to discourage people, then we're going to find ourselves discouraged ourselves. And most of the time when I see people that are posting all this negative crud, trying to clean up my preaching language, crud, then I don't like those looks that I get from my encouraging wife. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying. Listen, I'm not endorsing being ignorant, but there's a whole lot more for you to look at and be inspired than for you to just look at stuff and just be discouraged every time you get on Facebook or every time you get on Google or whatever. I think there's people out there, they just look for like conspiracies and they look for every every little dark place of everybody's life that they kind of disagree with and they want to expose them. I'm like, really? Don't you have more to do in life and encourage somebody and bringing life rather than just speaking death and speaking discouragement? So seek out inspiration. Number three, be encouraging. Now, I know that seems kind of weird, but but one of the things that I've tried to do in my life, especially I would say probably in the last 10 years, is I've really tried to be an encourager of people. Like my tendency a lot of times is just to be like, straighten up, that kind of encouragement. But I recognize that a lot of times all I'm doing is really putting people down and making them feel. So what I've tried to do the last 10 years is I've tried to be encouraging to people. I try to love on people. Now listen, there's, there's those times when we got to speak. But I know that I've got to be encouraging because if I'm encouraging, people that are going to be around me are going to be encouraged people. And encouraged people are encouraging people. So what I try to do is the people that are around me, I try to keep them encouraged. Why? Because sometimes I'm going to need encouragement. So I'm developing a culture of encouragement. Spirits beget spirits. You get around, man, you guys know how it is when you're down in the dumps and you call that person that will complain with you and whine with you and bicker with you. You're like, you won't believe what such and such. Oh, I know it. And I remember and you're gossiping and it's all this negative. How about you call somebody up that might even straighten you out a little bit, but you know that you can find life in what they're saying. But you've also got to be that person. Even when you don't feel like bringing encouragement, you got to bring that love word. You've got to spark courage in people and create that culture of the people that you're around. So be encouraging. The best way to get encouraged is be encouraging. Well, I don't feel like it. I know you don't, but you got to be that anyway. You got to sow those seeds of encouragement. And number four, encourage yourself. Take charge of your soul. Take charge of that discouragement. Take charge. Speak to your soul. Sing to your soul. Just like David did in Psalm chapter 45, verse 3. I did this with Mariah today. She's like, I said, baby, I said, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. She's like, Wah. So I was kind of tickling on her a little bit. I said, I just started preaching at her. I was like, don't you know what the Bible says? She's kind of giggling. I was like, the joy. I don't know that. I know, I know, but you need to hear the joy of the Lord. I said, why I so downcast? Oh, my soul. And I'm tickling her and she's giggling and I'm trying to break her of that mood. But we've got to be people like that was declaring this scripture over Psalm 43, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. But listen, when you're discouraged and you're driving down the road and you're just thinking about how bad it is and you're calling, oh, it's so rotten, just start saying, oh, my soul. Come on, soul. 
Why so? Why are you so bummed out? The love of God is stronger. You are cherished by your father. Elijah, man of God. So, speak to your soul. What's wrong with you? Sucker, get in line. <laughs> right? I will pray. My hope is in God. So, number one, get up and eat. Number two, go out and stand. Position yourself. Number three, go back. Now, when I say go back, I don't mean like you go back to your past, but you go back to work. Get to that place that you're supposed to be. See, God never told Elijah to go to Mount Sinai. God never told Elijah to go on this 40-day fast. He was running from death. He was afraid, and he was running. So God wants us to go back to that place, whether it's a place mentally, a place emotionally. God wants us to get to that place where we're supposed to be. God wants us to get back to work. I'm not going into work today. I don't feel like it. That's what he was doing. And here he was saying, God, I'm the only one. So you better get out there and do it. How many of you know that he wasn't the only one? That was that discouragement talking. So get to that place you're supposed to be. You've been running for too long. Fear runs from. Fear and, fear and faith both run. Fear runs from. Faith runs to. So what we've got to do is we've got to run the right direction. So Elijah ran. He should have been running, but he should have ran to. Not run from. That word discouraged means deprived of confidence, hope, or spirit. We get the word discouraged that means away, dis, away from courage. So what happens is we're a people walking around with no courage. We're discouraged. So we can't run too. We feel like we're always running from. We always feel like we're in the red. We always feel like if somebody could just give me $100, I'd feel better. When you know that that's only going to make you, <laughs> when you, when you know that's only going to make you feel better for a few minutes. Until that money's gone, then the discouragement's right back there. I said, tonight I'm not calling you to be 100% fearless. Because if you weren't a little afraid, if you weren't a little uncertain, we wouldn't call this a fight of faith. But tonight I'm calling you to be 100% faithful. That you'll move out and you'll run. In your trust to your God. Remember when God was faithful to you last time? Remember all those times he never let you down? I bet you can't remember a time where he did let you down. I've been serving Jesus for 20 years. I can't think of one time that he let me down. There was times I thought he was letting me down. But he never let me down. Because he works all things for the good of those that love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
you know, we've been kind of like dealing with this thing with our, you know, what's what's next for our church? and Where are we going? What are we doing? So one day, I, I love my wife so much. She's so faithful, and, and you guys get to see her gifts on display so many times. But I actually get the privilege of living with her. And so one day, I walk into the bathroom, and she wrote the scripture on the, we, we have this thing we We've done before that we get, you know, like a marker, then we write on the, you know, mirror or something, just little notes, and she wrote on the on the mirror in the bathroom. It says this, Galatians 6, 9, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So I'm telling you tonight, get back to it. Get back to your faithfulness. I don't feel like being faithful. I know you don't. But sometimes you just got to put one foot in front of the other. And you just got to move. And today it might feel like a crawl. But if you just crawl a little bit today. And next week you'll be running. Running like you're supposed to. Leslie's going to come up. And I want to declare this scripture over you. We've, we've shared it before. We'll share it again. But I believe tonight that God wants to stir the waters of refreshing in our life. And maybe maybe it's not even maybe this word wasn't for you tonight. Maybe it's for you six months from now, but maybe it's a word for you to share with somebody else. But I think that we all battle this sometimes if a real say, Man, I, I do get discouraged sometimes. But I love Isaiah forty. It says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? Did you forget? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth, and he never grows weak or weary. And no one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And even youths will become weak and tired. And even young men will fall in exhaustion. We will all get discouraged. But those who trust in the Lord will find a new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and they will not faint.